Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Here's Armstrong and Getty. Speaking of being compelled, I don't, I, I don't believe that people choose to or don't choose to have children. I think there's something way bigger that goes on than that. You do. Biologically, I, you mean? Yeah, neurologically? Yeah. I think there's something way stronger that's happening with the beast um, than everybody's decided not to have children. I don't think that's the case. I think that is there is some of that in there. There's certainly some of that. Like, we decided specifically to have two as opposed to three. I mean, we discussed that. Mm-hmm. But the being childless versus not, I don't think there's as much decision-making as people give themselves credit for. There's something going on with either population or a, a number of other avenues of entertainment available or something. That's yeah. taken away the overwhelming desire to procreate. Well, some people cite porn. There are hormones in the water supplies, and uh, the frogs have uh, both sets of genitals and the rest of it. And uh, just, I think we're messing with our, our body chemistry. Hmm. So I, I, there are probably several factors going on here. But the national, <clears throat> national fertility data provided by the U.S. Census and Centers for Disease Control and Prevention tend to lump together all adults who aren't parents, making it difficult to understand how many people identify as child-free. And people who are studying this have realized that the methodology is probably not right, and they need to change it uh, to better understand what's happening. Again, that makes it difficult to identify trends if you change your your collection, uh, yep. well, your methodology. But sometimes you just have to. But this group of social scientists did a study of a 1,000 people in Michigan, uh, which is, uh, Michigan is a very... It looks like America. It looks uh, like a mitten. Well, it looks like America and a mitten, Jack, in that uh, just uh, demographically, uh, ages, racially, etc. Uh, Michigan represents the United States very well. But in a recent study of a 1,000 people, we found that over one in four Michigan, Michigan adults did not want biological or adopted children and were therefore child-free, had no plans to have them, etc. One in four previous studies had placed the percentage between 2 and 9%. So they think the birth rate is going to continue plunging. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. And there's nothing you can do to turn it around. I don't believe. Because, like I said, there's something going on that's much bigger. It's not as much a conscious decision, I don't think. And so there's there's something big going on, some forces happening. And no, uh, it's not going to turn around anytime soon. One of my favorite Dire Straits songs. Do you remember the uh, the band Dire Straits? Uh, Sultans of Swing, their, their gigantoid hit, and several other. They had a song called Industrial Disease, which I thought was pretty interesting. And uh, whatever this is that causes populations to start to depopulate, I think it is a complex stew of things that are related to industrialization, economic development, wealth, and, and the rest of it. Yeah, I, I think it's got a lot to do with wealth and security. Um, I was reading some Dickens over the weekend. I'm going to get on a Dickens kick, I think. Why, they little Dickens? Charles Dickens, the writer, who I just learned. Well, I'll save this for later. I learned something amazing about Charles Dickens. But, you know, he's writing about the, 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 the his fiction was very close to nonfiction. I mean, it was a description of what was going on in, in, in England at the time, in London at the time. People were poor as dirt. I mean, their lives were miserable in all kinds of different ways. And they were cranking out kids. 
Mm-hmm. So this whole, you can't afford to have a kid today because rents are too high. Give me a freaking break. Shut people, up. People were cranking out kids left and right when their kids were going to go work in a factory at age six. Yeah. So the the idea that your rent's too high so you're not having a kid, it's not that. I think there probably is some, and this is probably like way deep in the programming. We may never find it. Somewhere deep within us is is a is a switch that recognizes either we need uh, well, I was going to say it's an either or, it's a a b, but it's probably not. It's probably a range of things. We need to repopulate a lot, and on the other end is we really don't need to repopulate. So if you want to have a kid, go ahead. But deep in our brain, we're getting this message. Yeah, I think so, something like that. I think so. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, in the nineteen seventies, we were probably right around in the uh, the middle of that continuum, right after World War Two. When there was, some people would suggest, a boom in babies, uh, <laughs> having lost millions of people in the greatest cataclysm known to mankind, everybody's uh, the deep brain uh, you know, setting said, have kids, have kids, have kids. Because we knew instinctively as a species we needed to. Yeah, I like that's what I mean. I, something like that is happening in all advanced societies where we're stopping having kids. So that's what's going on. And when the aliens come and mow us down with their ray guns and only a plucky band of survivors remains, they'll get after it like crazy. Are you kidding? If the cave is rocking, don't bother knocking. A plucky band of survivors. Here's what I learned about Charles Dickens that I did not know. He was, um, uh, some people believe he is the first worldwide celebrity to the extent that anybody knew what was going on in the world at that time because of his fiction. But before that happened, as a very young man, he was the best person known in England as a nonfiction writer. He was the most respected, best known uh reporter on Parliament for all the newspapers there. When he was 24 years old, mm-hmm. he was the most famous, powerful political journalist in London, he wrote way more words of nonfiction than he wrote of fiction, and I just thought that was interesting. It wasn't until he got older that he decided he wasn't making much money reporting on Parliament and turned his attention toward fiction, and then it really took off and made him a, a giant, giant star. One of our beloved listeners recommended a book to me. Uh, I think it is Charles Dickens. Uh... Oh, no, no. The Man Who Invented Christmas is the name of it. Hmm. It's about Charles Dickens writing A Christmas Carol and how that book was so incredibly popular. It it, it really popularized the idea of, you know, the, the goose and the presents and the tree and the dancing and the wassail and the rest of it when that was really fading away. In fact, it was looked down upon by the church at that time in England. But it also goes into his career and, and, and his ups and downs. And he wrote a bunch of failures, you know, after he'd had some giant hits. Uh, but it's a really interesting book, The Man Who Invented Christmas, uh, if you're into that sort of thing. But by God, life was miserable for a lot of people back then. Oh, Just yeah. utterly miserable. Well, Dickens himself applied like radioactive something or other to boots when he was 12, for like 12 <laughs> hours a day. I can't right. remember. Some sort of ink or something, but it had mercury in it, and it's just horrible. He'd stare out the window and just imagine things as his long, long workday stretched on at age frickin' 12. And people were cranking out kids, like I said, like crazy. So this whole idea of who'd bring a child into this world. Now, I think we need to get over this idea that we're rational actors in this. We're not. There's something going on beast-wise. Beast-wise. Mm. Beast the beast. Anyway, always interested in your opinion. 
415-295-KFTC is the text line, 415-295-KFTC. World's richest man kind of went into space today. I don't know. He went up. Well, like, he went towards space. He went towards space like 150 feet and, uh, and landed back on the ground. Hey, by the way, if you weren't a guy who doesn't want to write because it's too much work, uh, BeastWise could be your new like website and your self-help stuff and your vitamin supplements and you have seminars around the country. Just saying, you know, return to the beast. You know, be for men and women. Embrace your inner beast. Absolutely. And I'd wear tank tops all the time. You'd go out there with your Britney Spears mic and your your tank top on. I'm really, really tan. Like crazy How are you beasts doing? The crowd. (laughs) You'd be like Jordan Peterson, but hairier. Like uh, Tom Cruise was in Magnolia, kind of like that kind of a guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, more of uh, other stuff on the way. Have we heard any more from Jeff Bezos now that he's had his, his amazing going into space experience? What it's, what uh, the way he looks at the world now it changed everything, man. We're, we're all on this blue marble together, man. We're sharing it in space. We've got to attack global warming and tear down the borders. Always and global warming. And then your package will get there eventually. Right, <laughs> man? It's just, we're all together. Quit yelling at me. Armstrong and Getty. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. So we talked on our podcast yesterday about the different kind of bellies. If you don't listen to one more thing, you should go to Armstrong and or Armstrong, yeah, ArmstrongandGetty.com. ArmstrongandGetty.com. We record another segment after the show every day for some reason. I don't know why we do that. But anyway. Can we stop? <laughs> Uh, different kind of bellies, and they say there are different exercises you should do for different bellies, and then I'll tell you about the new term, hyperpalatable foods, which is clearly true. Um, these aren't really related stories, or they're not written together, but they're, they've identified five different kinds of bellies, and you're supposed to do different exercises to get rid of the different bellies. And I'm not sure which of these I have. There's mommy belly, which is its own thing, and, you know, we all know what that is, and that's completely, that's just as nature, that's nature. Yeah. That's what that is. But there's stressed belly, gluten belly. The roundest one is gluten belly. So they're claiming that whenever you see a guy with a just like, it almost looks like it's not real. Yeah, like the, the, the big, uh, hard belly. Just hard and perfectly round like a basketball, and often the rest of the body is not heavy at all. It's a, That's called gluten belly. I'm guessing that's from eating too much gluten, they're claiming here. Hormonal belly, which has got kind of a fold in the middle of it. And then alcohol belly, which kind Uh-oh. of slopes down and then has a little lump out there. Oh, eh, I don't know. And they have different exercises that you do for that. And I tried doing some of the exercises on the podcast. If you want to check that out, you can go to armstrongandgetty.com. But um, you end up with those bellies by eating too many hyperpalatable foods. The University of Kansas, which I attended for one year and got half of an MBA. Yes. Maybe I'll get Congratulations. The other, maybe I'll get the other half someday. Um. Sir, we need a consultant for this company, one with some knowledge, but not too much. We can't afford somebody with a master's in business administration. Could we afford somebody with half of one of those? Yes. Armstrong is your man. Armstrong, eh? Uh, Hyperpalatable foods have combinations of ingredients that can enhance a food's palatability and make a food's rewarding properties artificially strong. Right. And we've talked about this over the years. I first learned about it from 60 Minutes, geez, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. Common examples would be various chocolates, hot dogs, pretzels, and brownies. 
particularly things, well, the team compared these addictive munchies to the weight gain potential that comes from eating high-energy, dense, uh, and ultra-processed foods. But the, uh, the, the freaking manufacturers and the fact that they built a flavor that, that our brain wants more than sex, and then they make that flavor disappear the second it touches our tongue so that your brain is saying, get some more of that, get some more of that. Is just I'd, I'd like to find those people and choke them out. <laughs> I think my favorite pretzel chips are that. They're, they're, they're Parmesan garlic pretzel chips or something like that with a little uh, bourbon in the evening. Oh, my God. But you just want to keep eating them. I think they are that. They got that chemical because they got the powder on it. All chips are that way. That's funny. I was telling my son the other day about the, I think it was Lay's potato chips, uh, their slogan back when I was a kid, I'll bet you can't eat just one. Yeah, I'll bet you can't just eat one because our scientists have figured out the human brain and made it impossible for you to eat just one. That's why you can't just eat one. Right. And uh, the only the only answer I've certainly learned over the years is I can't eat the first one. It's not hard for me to avoid eating a little bag of those you know chips. But if I eat one, me and every other human being, your brain is just screaming for the next one. Yeah, that slogan's a lot like Mark Zuckerberg saying, bet you can't just log out of Facebook for five minutes, which would be healthy. <laughs> because we're messing with your brain. <laughs> yeah, we're taking advantage of your brain, which is working correctly in wanting this. Yes. And we're exploiting that for our benefit, even we, even though we know it's terrible for you. Yes, and we'll drive up child suicides and the rest of it, but you don't understand. We'll make lots of money. Or make you crazy fat in the, in the case of the chips. Right. Um, the reason I brought this up was what they say about sweets. They did a, well, I'll just read this. The results show that the sweets table at your local buffet is the biggest culprit when it comes to weight gain, more so than fatty foods. Researchers discovered that participants eating more hyperpalatable carbohydrate and sodium foods gained significantly more weight over the next year when they did this study with people going and eating at an all-you-can-eat buffet. Um, sweets are really, really the evil thing out there, and we all need to just keep our eye out for that. Well, that's true. I'm talking to me. It's not exactly a revelation to say sugar and empty calories are worse than protein. They called it fatty foods, but... Hyperpalatable carbohydrate and sodium food reveals how hedonic eating... Do you do that? ...is the bigger trigger for packing on excess pounds. Hedonic eating is a general term that's used in the literature to refer to eating that's more focused on the rewarding characteristics of food as opposed to strictly satisfying physiological hunger. For the average human being, how much of the food do you eat each day that satisfies hunger because you need it to continue to move around as a beast, and how much of it is to just a reward for whatever other pleasure centers of the brain are going off? God, the ratio's right. got to be like five to one, doesn't it? I need a nutritionist, not only to plan all my meals and snacks to the extent that I'm allowed to have them, but he's going to have to have like a taser as well. Right. Or just some sort of cattle prop. A compliant belt. Yeah, there's got to be uh, both a reward and a sanction. Yeah. I think that if somebody stuck a taser on my neck every time I reached for chips, eventually I'd stop reaching for chips. I think. Yeah, probably pretty quickly. Or you'd kill him. Or you might fire the guy. Hey, stop doing that. Yeah. I want some chips. I'm paying Read you. Read the contract again. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm paying you. I don't understand this relationship. I'm paying you, yet you keep shocking me in the neck every time I treat you to candy bar. It's in the third paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> it's a weird thing. 
about Fourth the human paragraph says I get to shock you if you argue about the contract. <laughs> so here'd be my uh, final question on, you know, the 900th time we've done the same information in a different package from a different uh, study. Uh, are there any human beings that don't know this at this point? Mm, they're 800 pounds. No, but they even know it. They know it. Do you yeah. do you think you know any human being that doesn't know this stuff at this point? Yet we continue the the the, the obesity craze. As far as I know, has not is continued to grow. It hasn't plateaued or certainly started to recede. If it has, so, I haven't heard it. So it would seem that here's my conclusion from this: this information is not doing any good. We've all heard this a hundred times. Presented with different words from different university studies in different ways. We all know this, yet we still get bigger. Yes. So that, so information is not the answer. No. Tasers. That's the answer. I don't know what the answer is, but information is not it. The, the beast can't control itself. The beast wasn't made to control itself. It was made to gather as many calories as possible to, to prevent starving to death. Yeah. And it'll take tens of thousands of years for us to evolve uh, into a different beast. Probably. Yeah, this could end up, you know, there's the, uh, the, the j- Jurassic period. There's the various periods throughout history. This might be the fat period for wow. human beings. There's just like a hundred year period where everybody was fat before fat. we, before we evolved to, where our brains evolved to the people that could, res- this, this will be natural selection, you know, a straight out of Darwin. The people that can resist, uh, chips and soda and all that sort of stuff will, will have more healthy offspring and more offspring. No, they don't. The intelligent people who are fit aren't having any kids, so Darwin doesn't work in this case. Don't! Hmm, never mind. The fatastic period. <laughs> Armstrong and Getty. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. I got my The Armstrong and Getty Show. I came across this in the Wall Street Journal. This is getting a fair amount of attention, but this is the editorial board's version of how Benjamin Franklin has become a person of concern. Washington, D.C. also proposes to cancel Washington and Jefferson. Uh, Benjamin Franklin's famous quote, a republic, if you can keep it. Uh, Did he actually say it or is it apocryphal? It doesn't make any difference. It might as well be true. Uh, but, but the idea was, um, can people govern themselves or will it go the way of a self-governance that always has where you just break into factions and you, it all falls apart and it gets ruined? <laughs> right. Well, the Wall Street Journal is so, sort of making the point that maybe, maybe that is the direction we're going. Um, because Benjamin said it and he no longer is going to be a founding era, uh, person that you're going to be able to see in Washington, D.C. if this new, panel in Washington, D.C. gets its way, they've identified Benjamin Franklin, among other founders, as persons of concern and recommended their names be removed from D.C. property. This is straight out of Soviet Russia. I mean, it's they didn't even change the words. I mean, it is straight out of the Politburo. The astonishing proposals come from a Washington, D.C. government committee formed by Mayor Muriel Bowser to oh. re-examine the names of schools statues and parks in the wake of protests this chick doesn't get enough attention for being awful the committee submitted its report monday and ms bowser um uh passed it along to the next step of of it happening the committee says it hunted for historical figures with key disqualifying histories including participation in slavery systemic racism 
mistreatment of or actions that suppressed equality for persons of color, women, and LGBTQ communities. So uh, Franklin was tough on the transgenders, huh? Yeah, sure. Right. So the founding fathers weren't open-minded enough about uh, gay, bi, trans uh, rights. Yeah, I'm sure they weren't. And neither would you have been if you lived then, you lying liar. There was hardly anybody else in the world. I mean, like, talking 99% here. Oh, at least. At least. And I'm, you know, being charitable. I mean, if you're going to include that in there, you, you're not going to be able to have anybody's name on anything that, that existed prior to like 2010. I mean, like, oh, nobody. I mean, Barack Obama Barack ran out. He ran on marriages between a man and a woman. Yep. So. Hillary Clinton out, canceled, canceled. Come on, Michael. What are we paying you for in there? What anyway, are you doing? You flipping through a comic book? If uh, if you if your life if your life and attitudes weren't on the right side of slavery, systemic racism, mistreatment of or actions that suppressed equality for persons of color, women, and LGBTQ communities, you have violated the DC Human Rights Act. I hate to sound like the racist, anti-racist lunatics, but you're either with these people or you have to come off the sidelines and fight this stuff, folks. In your schools, in your town, at your city council, you have to be willing to stand up. You compared it to Soviet uh, uh, Russia. I still think it uh, reminds me more of the French Revolution since I've been doing a lot about reading about that, particularly this part. The bureaucrats worked with uncharacteristic dispatch, taking six weeks to render the judgment of history on 1,330 properties named for people. That's what's so French Revolution style is it's just the fever. It's just the, the excitement in the air. People are in the park, people in the streets. We're going to do something big and we're going to do it right now. Yeah. Without calming down for a second. Right. And it's moving so fast and everybody's got such a head of steam that nobody's got the guts to stop them. As I've been saying over and over, uh, people who study this sort of thing think it only takes like 15% of worked up revolutionaries to get a revolution going. Mm-hmm. You got a whole bunch of other people who are scared, to, who kind of agree, but think you're going too far. You got a bunch of people who don't agree, but are afraid they're going to get run over and lose their jobs or their heads if they get in the way. Right. And it, it doesn't take that many people to, to, uh, do a lot of damage. The committee wants the Franklin School Historic Landmark renamed and recommends that D.C. petition the federal government to remove, relocate, and contextualize a federally owned Franklin statue. Actually, this article starts with a big picture of Benjamin Franklin that's up in the halls of the Senate, right, where everybody walks into the chamber. Right, yeah. It recommend, it offers the same recommendation for the federal Washington Monument. Yeah, the big one, the big white one. We need one. to contextualize that. Yes, yes. Some other school names the committee wants scrubbed. Thomas Jefferson, author of the Declaration of Independence. The, uh, Francis Scott Key, author of the Star-Spangled Banner. Alexander Graham Bell, inventor of the telephone. James Monroe, who negotiated the Louisiana Purchase and was our fifth president. Um, Well, if you're going to include that whole nut job list of they were not kind to LGBTQ yeah. people... You like got to get rid of Madison then and, well, and Adams. Like and, I said, probably everybody whose thinking is prior to 2010. Right. Yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right. Except for a tiny cabal of activists, and you can probably find something they said that isn't uh, up to the current politically correct lingo and cancel them as well. I'm sure you can. That's right. I'm sure you could find something with the, 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 the Kennedys, Bobby or, or John, saying something unkind about. Oh, 100%. You know, trans or gay marriage or something like that. I'm sure he could. Well, how about during the civil rights era, the stuff that uh, the Kennedys said about uh, various civil rights leaders? I mean, by today's standards, it's utterly unacceptable. So they're they're canceled, too. 
You might be able to keep, I don't know, like Millard Fillmore around, or there might be I some. Doubt it. Only oh, if no, the... no, it's impossible. Every se- well, and listen, I, I I realize this starts to sound, um, like uh, in the weeds, paranoid, but erasing history is one of the key aspects of imposing Marxism. There is no history but the present, and the party is the present. It's it's part of how they do it. The editorial board in the in the Wall Street Journal ends with this. Um, is Biden going to be uh, asked by anybody to comment on this? And will he stand up for the people who created this country? I don't know. I don't know how he'd answer that question. He's trying to avoid having to answer any of these questions. Yeah. He is the standard bearer for the left currently. And Right. Yeah, it's a little frustrating, although whether it's the situation in Oregon where the sheriff's departments are saying, no, we're not going to help you out, Portland, until you start prosecuting people. Or, you know, there are a number of developments that give me a little bit of hope. There's a piece that getting a fair amount of attention. Was it originally in the uh, Atlantic or I'm not sure? Yeah, the Atlantic. John McWhorter wrote it. Um, Academics are really, really worried about their freedom is the headline. So lefty academics. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so the the trends that we've been saying are going to lead to real ugliness and we need to oppose them. They've gotten ugly and crazy enough that even that group of people, Jack, you were describing, who are kind of sympathetic, but think those people are a little nuts. Um, they're starting to stand up. So we were talking. About- I don't know if the sane will win the day, but at least. They're starting to stand up. We were talking about James Lindsay last hour, and if you're not into his act, man, you got to get into it and learn all. He is he is the best in America. He is there need to be statues to him someday if he's able to turn this around. He is working tirelessly as he considers himself the number one expert on wokeism in America, and I'm sure he is. And he's writing books and doing videos and speaking anywhere he's allowed to speak and explaining all this to people. But anyway, his plan is, and I think this is a great idea, you have to get people on the record of what is too far. And you have to do it right now because we're screaming these directions so fast. If you get Nancy Pelosi or Joe Biden, somebody on the record saying, no, the Washington Monument would be too far. Yes. Then when this happens, you you know, it's it's not going to... Because incrementally, we keep going farther, and then by the time it gets there, the politicians don't have the courage to stand up to it. Right. Yeah, it would be good to get people on the record for that sort of thing, and there are all sorts of you know areas you could you a- could ask them Ask about. all people of power, what's too far? Where's your line? I remember the march through a neighborhood in Seattle where the, uh, the BLM lunatics were screaming at people, give up your house, give your house to a black person. Get the uh, politicians on the record. Do you think white people should be forcibly evicted from their homes for the sin of being white? It might be a rather long list of things. We'll have to have them uh, you know, go on the record, but I like the idea. I'm looking forward to reading that book. We're going to do a podcast review of it. Uh, Jack and I and uh, Craig Gottwalls and Tim Sandifer at some point. I need a deadline. I, I, we have to figure out when we're going to do the podcast. I work better with deadlines myself. Yeah, yeah, and I'm just, uh, I'm in a particular uh, period of self-pity and lethargy right now. So really? I really Self-pity yeah. and lethargy? Yeah. Well, you get those together, that's a good stew of not getting stuff done. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. But um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, I've been there where it's, uh, it's, it's, it's difficult to do hardly anything, really. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't call it like clinical depression or anything, it's just... I keep this stuff keeps breaking and I can't do any of my hobbies. And so I'm trying, I got to find something new to do. And I don't know what. Maybe I'll feel your soul being crushed yet. It's a bit of a soul crushing thing, but I don't have problems compared to people with real problems. So again, 
I'm trying not to whine too much, but it's it's frustrating. Juggling? You taking up juggling? I I have tried juggling. I am uniquely terrible at it. Hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't seem to be good at it. But um, I'd like to get back to fly fishing. I haven't fished in a long. That's time. It's a good one. It is a good one. So much gear though, and water. <laughs> I don't know. And the fish. And the fish just slimy. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. Armstrong and Getty. But resist, we must. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I'm just going to read chunks that Sean nicely highlighted from this article in Slate by someone named Juka Sullivanin or something. Um, with two of Lenin's. Um, because uh, this is really well written. And it is about the secret of happiness. And, you know, wait for it. It gets to it here uh, after a bunch of different stuff. I don't know how you pronounce H-Y-G-G-E. Are you familiar with that word? It's a Nordic I am not, term. Sir. I I'll, am not. I'll call it high G. Is high G still a thing? The Danish concept of comfortable conviviality and all things cozy is supposed to capture the essence of Danish culture and has been marketed as the secret for happy living. Uh, the Danes regularly named the happiest people in the world when they do those studies. And I got, have the pronunciation of that word, if you would like. Okay. Huga. Huga? Huga. Huga, okay. Huga. A few years back, there was a surge of Huga-related books, articles, and household products. Journalists from around the world were touring Denmark to document various aspects of this unique lifestyle. The enthusiasm around Denmark was stimulated by the nation's reputation of being the happiest country in the world. Woo! Been hearing that for years. We've been doing that list. Marshall used to do that list every uh, two weeks. Who's of the happiest <laughs> country in the world? Um, if there has been a downturn in the Huga industry in recent years, it may be because of Finland, which was Marshall's home country, uh, which has now surpassed Denmark in the World Happiness Report four years running. The happiest country in the world is Finland, more or less. Spending next time in the sauna. The Finnish spiritual equivalent of huigi is something far less convivial and more and much more difficult to pronounce. It's kalser kummer not. I wouldn't even try. I knew a guy from Finland. The letters don't mean what you think they mean. <laughs> <laughs> Which translates as pants drunk. Yes. Yes. And refers. I, I've been there. And refers to the practice of binge drinking home alone in your underpants. <laughs> I call it Thursday. <laughs> We don't have as complicated a name for it. It's called a Thursday. If you're binge drinking at home alone in sweats, you are just pretentious. I almost want to figure. Drunk. I almost want to figure out how to say this word so I can throw it around for the rest of my life. It's the Finnish word for pants drunk. You know, when you sit around binge drinking in your underpants. <laughs> anyway, it's nice that they have a word for that. Where is this going? I know you would think so, but it is going somewhere. Nobody okay. is more skeptical than the Finns. About the nation, the notion that we are the world's happiest people. This is written by a Finn. This is where it gets interesting. When a cabinet member of the Finnish government was introduced at an international conference recently, the representative of the happiest country in the world, he responded, if that's true, I'd hate to see the other countries. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> the World Happiness Report, the annual study responsible for these rankings, does not pay any attention to smiles, laughter, or other outward expressions of joy. Instead, the report relies on Gallup polls, which ask respondents to imagine a ladder. Do this yourself right now. Imagine a ladder with steps numbered from 0 to 10. The top rung 
10 represents the best possible life. If you stand on the top rung, you're going to fall and break your neck, and you will no longer be happy. But let's put that aside. <laughs> There's a warning right at the top of the ladder. Yeah. Tells you. Right. right. Uh, the top rung 10 represents the best possible life for you, while the bottom rung 0 represents the worst. The survey participants are then instructed to report the number that corresponds with the rung in which they are currently standing. In other words, you're deemed happy if your actual life circumstances approximate your highest expectations. Interesting. Compared with most other countries, objective living circumstances in Finland are very good. But there's more to the story. We should not ignore expectations. Right. (laughs) Consistent with their Lutheran heritage, the Nordic countries are united in their embrace of curbed aspirations for the best possible life. This mentality is famously captured in the Law of Jante, a set of commandments believed to capture something essential about the Nordic disposition to personal success. You're not to think you're anything special. You're not to imagine yourself better than we are. You're not to think you are good at anything, which in America we would see as uh, a terrible thing, a terrible attitude. Child abuse. Yeah, well, it is. Yeah, it's uh, it's and, practically a mental illness. It's shaming. It's uh, it's you know it's something horrifying. The Nordic countries embrace a cultural orientation that sets realistic limits to one's expectations for a good life. In these societies, the imaginary ten-step ladder is not as high. The first rung is pretty high up. And the distance between the steps is relatively short. So, yes, I do think culture matters a great deal to understanding why countries like Finland, Denmark, Iceland, Norway, and Sweden score so high in this particular indicator of happiness. But the relevant cultural characteristic is neither huigi nor, unfortunately, uh, that, that word for pants drunk. If I had to pick a Scandinavian word to capture the correct cultural ingredient in Nordic happiness, it would probably be the Swedish and Norwegian term lagom or lagom which can be translated as just the right amount. Lagom is frequently thought to capture the essence of Swedish culture, its embracement of modesty and rejection of excess. In terms of expectations for a good life, Lagom encourages uh, contentment with the life's bare necessities. If you have those, you have nothing to complain about. Ergo, you are happy. Wow, culture. That is really interesting. You know, I come from I come from the Midwest and uh, South Dakota originally, which is populated by all those people you're just mentioning. My mom is adopted, we don't, but almost certainly Scandinavian of some sort, and that is the 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 creed of like South Dakota, North Dakota, Minnesota, all those places that that are full of really happy, pleasant people, as uh, is regularly mocked. Yeah, it, you can't swing a loot fisk without hitting a Lutheran. It's just very low expectations for for life, and that y- you know you could. Again, in our modern world, as it comes out of New York City, that's a terrible thing to say. Now you got to shoot for the best to be a star. All these different kinds of things. But if your expectations are just, you know, I'm going to have a house, I'm going to feed myself, and the family's going to hang out, we're going to do little league and barbecues. That's what we're going to do. That's all that's going to be. You're pretty happy if that right. if that's your top rung. You're going to be on it or very close to it. One of my favorite examples that they had in that that story was the. They kind of use the Americanized version of parents tell their kids, when you grow up, you can be president. But the the real thing or the, the, the key to the the process they're describing, when you grow up, you could be president of the homeowners association, I, right? Uh, <laughs> Setting more realistic, simple life, the beauty of the simple life goals. Uh, that may, that all makes so much sense to me, and it explains everybody that I used to live around in, in those states I just mentioned. Why they, yeah. had, why they had the perfectly happy attitude they have. Yeah, yeah. Contentment Boy, this is, needs this to be, is a this is a thick subject. It's it complicated. Is. The word content needs to be thrown around way more than the word happy. Yeah, I would agree. 
I would agree. Uh, I, I absolutely get what uh, the author is saying. I see the wisdom in it. I believe it. At the same time, I think mankind needs the unsatisfied, the the never satisfied, the striving, the, the fixated, the uh, the enthusiastic. You know, I just I, I think it takes all kinds. Is it because you step outside, you're gonna freeze do... to death in those countries? Is that what's at work here? <laughs> uh, I think you can do both. I I think you can have you know as long as I got uh, you know got an okay house, okay car, and kids. Everybody's healthy. I'm happy. I think you can have that and try to invent an airplane. I don't think they. I don't think they are separated. Well, I don't think the Elon Musk's of the world are necessarily going to not exist if we stop telling every child they could become president. I would right? agree with that. Also, I, I think those people, those high octane brains, will kind of rise above, anyways. And and uh, yeah, that that's my. Yeah, it could be. Summary you know, it's it. funny. As a kid, I had the classic uh, feeling about, you know, you could grow up to be president and blah, blah, blah. Uh, now that I know much more about the presidency, it sounds like a threat. <laughs> it sounds like what you say to them to get them to eat their vegetables. I certainly would think if everybody wants to be uh, a YouTube star or whatever it is you want to be, and that's, you know, all the, your goals in life, as opposed to just regular run-of-the-mill house on the end of the block you know, with friends, with and friends, family and, and, and just yeah, right. that's just what we do. Well, I can understand why one company country would be happy and one would not be not. I don't know. Uh, I think the first thing is a recipe for misery. Your thoughts? Text line four one five two nine five KFTC. I thought that was really interesting, and especially learning the Finnish word for pants drunk. Mm, indeed, you can email us mailbag at armstrongandgetty.com. Drinking alone in your underpants. Hmm. Armstrong and Getty.